Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to our morning worship service here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. We're going to begin this morning as we stand and sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Amen. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be able to gather once again in your house. Lord, we just want to lift up this service to you. I pray that all the music will bring glory and honor to you. Pray for Brother Mike as he brings a message this morning. I just pray that you'll speak through him the message you have for each of us. Lord, I just want to thank you for the way you've looked out for us and God guard and direct us in everything that we say and do. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.
can be seated. Good to see some faces this morning. Amen. I tell you what, it's great. Had a good Sunday school lesson. Now we're going to continue studying God's Word. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Preview of Jesus' glorious return. A preview of Jesus' glorious return. Now, we, uh, we've got to understand that as we have been looking at, at chapter 16 and now looking at chapter 17, the uh, rapidity, the, the, uh, the pace, the, uh, the speed of the situation is uh, beginning to step up a notch. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. Now, you recall that uh, Jesus has just uh, asked the disciples back in 16, who do you say I am? And Peter spoke on behalf of the disciples and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, You do well, Peter. That was given to you by the Heavenly Father, uh, divinely given. It's been revealed to you. And then later on, and uh, he talks about building the, uh, the church upon this type of faith, this type of profession, this type of uh, uh, commitment to the Lord. Uh, recognizing who he is and, and serving him. And then you move on and, and he, uh, he tells him, he just comes right out and tells him what his mission is about, his destiny. And he says in verse 21 of chapter 16, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He says this is what it's all about. This is the destiny. This is the climax, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. I don't think the raising again really stuck in their mind that much. They, they saw the, the killing and, and uh, being killed, suffering and dying. And so uh, Peter says, no way, Lord, this can't happen to you. You're our Messiah. You just said that... What, I, what, I, what was revealed to us was true, that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're divine. This can't happen. And then we see that uh, Jesus tells him, he says, Get behind me, Satan, uh, for you are hindering the destiny. You're hindering my, uh, my path. You're hindering my purpose. You're, you're hindering me from... Uh, doing what God has called me to do. The, the, you're becoming a stumbling block to me now. So get thee behind me. In other words, Peter, you've got to understand because I'm going to be using you, the church, you and the other believers to carry on this message. And he says, because this is what's going to happen. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, if anyone wishes to come after me, they're going to have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You're going to have to be willing to do the same. And so he, uh, 
he moves on, and you know, there's, I'm sure there's confusion here. I'm sure there's uh, mixed emotions. I'm sure that uh, there's all kind of things going through. How can this be? You know, how can this happen? And then on top of that, us. How how's a, a, the the church going to continue on if the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it? I mean, if death shall not overtake it, then how? Is this going to be true? How can this happen? And so I'm sure that, that these were beginning to confuse them and, and uh, uh, distract them from understanding what their true mission was about and what's going on and, and discourage them to a degree. And so the Lord is about to give them a preview of, hey, what's going to come in the future? And that is the transfiguration is a preview of his coming kingdom. He says in verse 28 of chapter 16, truly I, truly, uh, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In other words, this either has to mean that some of them are, are you know, going to, uh, about to see him, die and be resurrected and come right back. Or it means that some of them are going to, to live on forever, or it means that he's about to give them a preview of what it's going to be like in the future when he does return. And this is what I believe it to be, that these, these that, were, um, uh, that were going to not taste death until they saw the Son of Man coming in the kingdom, these were the three that went up to the top of the mountain and got to see that preview. It says in verse 17, And six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to the mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments uh, became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Now this is so very important. And you've got to remember chapter 17, chapter 16 here. So often the, there, there's not a chapter division. Uh, in the original uh, scriptures there were not chapter and verse divisions. And so especially here with this thought, uh, it just continues on. What he said in verse thir uh, 28 of chapter 16 and what has uh, been previously talked about and I shared with, it just moves right into chapter 17. It all goes together. He's letting them see, especially uh, verse 28. You're going to be able to see, get a glimpse of what I'm talking about, about the victorious Christ, about me coming back in my glory one day. Uh, I told you that I'm going to have to go and die and suffer. That's part of it. But that does not stop me. I will, you know, uh, as he'll tell them later on, I will send to heaven and, uh, and in like manner come back. The angels told him that over in uh, Acts chapter 1. And so we see that we've got to remember that we're on this side of the cross. Here's the cross. We're on this side of the cross. They're on this side of the cross at this time. And it's kind of like I used uh, in math. I did not care for certain math classes. 
Math was uh, just not my thing, especially when you had to work out these pro uh, problems and these equations and all this. And they were long. And this guy down here, he, he probably loves it. But I did not. I did not. And I hated to know that we had homework. And we were going through a, a course like that, and I had to go up to the board and all of a sudden be called on and say, work this problem out. Oh, man, I, I did not like that. Did not care for that. And then all of a sudden... As the teacher would see that I was having somewhat of a problem, he would come up there and he would assist me and work it through. And he would take me step by step. And he'd say, now turn over in your book to the back. This is how we got that answer. You see that answer? And it was so glorious, so delightful to see that answer and see how it worked out. Well, see, they don't have everything. And he's fixing to give them the answer. And he's going to let them see as he continues on the road to Jerusalem how to work this thing out. And then afterwards when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them, really how to understand it and move on and be able to teach others a wonderful uh, uh, story about Jesus. The equation, the how, to, how it came about. And so as we come to this chapter, we, uh, we look at it and, and uh, we, we see him saying, he says, and six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother and brought them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. So as we uh, have already talked about, these are the ones that would not taste death until they saw the glory. They needed this assurance because these three would be teaching as uh, uh, others and discipling others. And we know that uh, James didn't make it too far because in Sunday school class we were taught, uh, you know, uh, we were, uh, uh, re had the information revealed to us uh, by the teacher that, and uh, some of them out in the uh, the audience that uh, James was a martyr. I mean, you know, for the uh, for the work of Christ, and so uh, we know that uh, he was a teacher for a while. He was a discipler for a while. But these three uh, were the main ones to lead the others to go back with the other twelve and and to teach them and to show them and and continue to lead them and and then all those twelve go out and and teach. Uh, those that came to know the Lord about this wonderful truth. So this, pre this preview was very important. You see, the preview was an encouraging glimpse of the person of Christ, first of all. They needed to be, that needed to be reaffirmed in their minds and their hearts. In verse 2, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. The word there, transfigured, is the same word used uh, that we're familiar with, metamorphosis. And so it's, you know, you, you, when you think about that word, you think about what? A caterpillar becoming a butterfly and this type thing. It's, uh, so it's, it's a remarkable, undeniable change that takes place. And when they went up to the mountain... Jesus looked 
you know, one way as they were going up the mountain. But when they came to the mountain, we see that something happened, an incredible change happened. And he looked totally different uh, in the sense that his, full, his glory shone forth from him. Now, twice this word is used in the New Testament, and it's relating to the believer's change and inward change. In Romans 12:2, it says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in 2 Corinthians 3:18, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And so uh, these verses speak of an inward change, but uh, here in Matthew, it was an outward change that they saw. His appearance became totally different in the sense that his glory just beamed forth from him. And uh, Christ's face, it says, uh, uh, shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Matthew is letting the readers know that Christ is allowing the disciples there a special, unique, wonderful experience to have and to experience uh, there with, with the Lord, and that is to experience the radiance of God's glory beaming forth before them like they've never seen before. The radiance probably reminded the disciples of, of stories of old, like with uh, Moses in Exodus 34, 29 through 30. It says, And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the uh, two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. This tells us that Moses came down off the mountain and uh, from meeting with God. What a meeting it must have been. And his face was light and glowing so that they couldn't stand it. And, and, and that was just a reflection, though, just a reflection of the glory of God from uh, Moses, I mean, from God on Moses. Here, though, is a reflection of the Shekinah glory, uh, but this, uh, or with Moses it was, but here it's with Jesus beaming forth the glory that is His, the very nature that is His the nature of God. And so uh, this glory was not Moses' glory, but it reflected the glory of God himself. And uh, in Matthew, the glory that disciples saw was not a reflected glory upon Jesus. It was the very nature of, uh, of God. Uh, it was the glory of his Father that he shared fully the exact representation, the radiance of his glory as Jesus takes Peter and James and John with him on the mountain, he now demonstrates this blinding glory to them. It was a transfiguration. What is uh, now there as they look at Jesus is something they had never seen before. What an 
awesome uh, an experience that they must have had. I mean, they probably couldn't even put it into words. We see that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, Peter, uh, he, he was amazed by it. He was so much amazed by it that he wanted to, to uh, build three tabernacles, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And so the disciples get to see the Shekinah glory of God, not the reflection like Moses brought down, but the very Shekinah glory of God, the radiance of his glory. Here, more than any other place, Jesus revealed himself as he truly is. The Son of God, the divine glory radiated from his face, and he illuminated even his garments and uh, which became white as snow. I mean, this white was whiter than any uh, dishwashing uh, detergent could ever bring out in a, uh, a cloth. It was, it was just beaming and uh, a, a supernatural testimony to his uh, spiritual splendor. And so we see that it, it affected Peter so much so that he wrote about it later on in his second of Peter, I mean epistle. And we read in verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Uh, and in the Gospel of Luke, a uh, parallel story, we, we see that uh, Luke is telling them that they awoken from a, or they awoke from a sleep and uh, they saw Jesus talking or heard Jesus talking with someone. And they looked over there and they saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah uh, talking together. And uh, both Matthew and Luke tell us that Moses and Elijah were there having a conversation with Jesus. And we know that the conversation was what? About the completion of Jesus' ministry. About, you know, him going and dying and being resurrected. About the completion of the, uh, uh, the Old Testament. And uh, all the prophecies being fulfilled in, in, in him about the coming Messiah. So both, uh, you know, told us and lets us know of this conversation going on. Now the ultimate great theme throughout the Bible, we know it. It's, uh, it is for the glory to be brought to God. And uh, this glory is to be brought to God, we know, by the completion of the New Testament through salvation for mankind by way of the cross through the blood of Jesus, right? And the resurrection. And so we, we know that's the, the, ultimate, the, the, the ultimate great theme. But along with that, the great theme that is taught in Scripture that relates to this and that is, uh, goes along with this, is the promise and fulfillment. You hear it throughout the uh, Old Testament especially. Promise and a fulfillment. Promise and a fulfillment. Well, this is the ultimate promise and ultimate fulfillment. And as Jews, and especially Jew, Jewish boys, uh, studied the, the law and the prophets, when they saw Moses and Elijah, they knew exactly what, who they, or what they stood for. And as these two came, we know that Moses, uh, the law was symbolized by Moses. Uh, he was the great giver of the law as God gave it to him. And then we know that also Elijah represents 
the prophets. And he is the first great prophet of old. And so uh, the law and the prophets are represented here by these two men. Moses and Elijah were uh, not just remembered as their historical role, but there was much more there. Also, the promises about the future, the promise and the fulfillment. And to understand this better, you can go to, uh, uh, to Deuteronomy 18.15. It says, um, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking about. And uh, he'll raise up one from you like me from among you, from among your people, from among God's people, from your countrymen, in other words. And then he says, and we'll talk about this in just a few moments, and you shall listen to him. You shall listen to him. And also in, in Malachi 4, chapter, uh, I mean, verses 5 and 6, it talks about Elijah, the great prophet. Well, there's, you know, Jesus is, is letting them know the person that he is, the person of Christ, his deity. But not only that, fulfillment of these two, fulfillment of the scripture that represented the, the scripture completely in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Now, uh, you know, we're going to look at that fulfillment. He, he is a deity that's mentioned there, but not only that, he is a fulfillment. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah and Jesus are speaking. We have the law, as I said, and the prophets in, in the conversation. And here Jesus is telling them how he is fulfilling it. He's letting them know. Now we understand that Christ in, his, is in himself incarnate, and he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. They see Moses and Elijah, the representation of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, being fulfilled in Christ. And this is what he's trying to have the disciples, even though they don't understand it fully, remember later on. Because they'll be teaching this to others. They're fulfilled, you know, and, and they are fulfilled, the law and the prophets, uh, in a greater sense than ever before. The law is of greater importance than ever before. Uh, not that we live by the law, but that we uh, witness the fulfillment of the law in Christ. He fulfilled everything that was required. Everything. And not only that, the prophets are more important than before because we not only see the expectation of Christ, but we also see Christ's fulfillment of all the prophets' expectation in him. He's taken all the prophecy and he's fulfilling it, letting everybody know that this is it. He is the one. So it is that preview of the person of Christ, but we also see the preview uh, was a glimpse of the future Christ in his glory. The experience of seeing Christ's glory, I mean, it must have been a major contributor to the second coming, uh, becoming a, a very dominant theme in their mind, and especially in Peter's mind. 
because he writes specifically about that. And the, uh, the message of the two epistles uh, of Peter could be su uh, summed up as uh, fellow believers. Don't worry about your pain. Don't worry about your hardship, as he talks about in his epistles. Your testing, your persecution, your sacrifice. Jesus is coming again. He's coming. That all, that's all that really matters. He's coming again. He has overcome sin and death and hell. He is a victor. So, as we come, we, we do know that John wrote about, uh, you know, Jesus and, and uh, his glory and his second coming. I mean, uh, and uh, we especially know that in, in Revelation. Uh, but... Uh, here until now, the disciples have only seen the glory of Christ veiled in human form. Now, the transfiguration, at, on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were blessed to get a glimpse of his glory and what it will be like when he returns with his second coming. Jesus, at that time, will come in divine, full majesty and glory. After this event, there uh, could henceforth be no doubt in the disciples' minds, or should be no doubt in the disciples' minds, that he was God incarnate. Just like Christ, just like Peter had said in his testimony earlier, whether he understood it fully or not. And there should be no doubt that he had come uh, some, uh, and, and that he will one day return in his full glory. So this should encourage this glimpse should encourage disciples and also reveal to them with their mission what they are to teach and preach in the future and then third this preview involved a call for obedience peter said and peter answered and said to jesus lord it is good for us to be here if you wish i will make three tabernacles here one for you one for moses and one for elijah Peter is telling us that, hey, this is an incredible moment. I mean, man, this is wonderful. But they weren't to stay up there on the mount, on this mount, and make three tabernacles. First of all, Jesus didn't want that. He, he was not com uh, finished with his ministry. He was not at his destiny yet. He was just giving them a glory of what was to come when he returned. It's kind of like what our Sunday school teacher Tim taught earlier. You know, in Jerusalem, can you imagine when Peter stood up, stood up and preached and there were 3,000 souls that came to know the Lord? And then uh, day by day, they were being added, it says. And then later on, 5,000 men came to know the Lord. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to, Say, hey, this is it. Let's just continue here. Let's have this kind of service. I mean, I like this. I don't want to move out from here. But as Sunday school teacher told us earlier, Lord said, you're not going to move out? Hmm. Well, I'll allow persecution because I know persecution will push you out to get the mission done. And this is the same thing. They couldn't stay up on the mountain. As glorious an experience as it was, they had to come down, follow through, 
go to the cross, and then they had to, some of them even had to die for their faith. So as we uh, look at this, we see that Peter says, hey, let, let me, uh, let's just build three tabernacles for you. And, and uh, in the tabernacle, it was, this was a very important thing in their life because the tabernacle was where God met with people. And later it was replaced, uh, of course, by the temple. And, and in the Jewish mind, there could be no greater place than the temple. And um, Luke chapter 12 and 13, Jesus talked about him being greater than the temple. And Peter uh, may have uh, seen that, hey, this, this is even greater than that, you know, the temple. Man, this, this is wonderful. But he... Uh, as we'll see the voice coming out of heaven, he, he, he did make a mistake in the sense, or a few mistakes. I mean, his intention was good. Uh, he saw a glorious experience there, but he put all three of them on the same level, didn't he? And so um, uh, the uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, will sh uh, straighten that out. So Peter may have been thinking that the temple was no longer the, the thing of importance and and uh, Peter could have been thinking no longer Zion was a place of worship. This will be the place of worship. But we do know that um, the issue on Peter's mind uh, was that they wanted to worship these three individuals. They wanted to make it a very special place. And uh, also some believe that the uh, Feast of the uh, Tabernacles was uh, going on at that time also. And so that... That could have played a part in Peter's mind. So the, uh, being a memorial to uh, God's preserving his chosen and redeemed people. But whatever, we, we do know that uh, Peter was uh, off cue there. Uh, he was uh, thinking in the wrong way. And, and so uh, Peter's proposal was inaccurate. But his understanding was not totally all wrong. I mean, in his motive. And so uh, Jesus' kingdom is not yet uh, established in, in geographical terms and was not yet to be established, nor was uh, the end of all things at that time. And so the timing was not yet uh, uh, right. And so Jesus still had to head to Jerusalem. And in verse 5, while he was still speaking, Peter, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice ca uh, came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Look at that. What did Moses say earlier? This prophet, listen to him. What is Jesus saying here? Listen to him. And so, uh, Matthew, uh, this baptism, uh, I mean, uh, Christ's baptism earlier in chapter 3, uh, this statement is similar, and it's once again uh, proclaimed from the Heavenly Father. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So this voice came from a cloud. And, and clouds are, are very important uh, in the Bible, uh, mentioning of them. A cloud represented, uh, often represented God in his glory. In the Old Testament, a cloud uh, that uh, was used uh, to, uh, to lead the Israelites uh, while in the wilderness. And this cloud was the Shekinah glory of God. It was a cloud at the top of a mountain where Moses, as we talked about earlier, ascended and met with God. And now it is a cloud from which God speaks concerning his son. Now first, 
it deals with identification. His beloved son. He was declaring that Christ was of identical nature. Identical nature and essence with him. This is very God. This is the very God, the Son of God, Jesus. And then he is, a, he, you know, there is a relationship of divine nature. And then second of all, it declared not only a relationship of divine nature, but a relationship of divine love. Here, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, the one I love. And then third, it was an approval with the son's obedience in all that he had done. Everything about Jesus. I am well pleased in him. In other words, uh, he has followed out my plan. He's done all that I've required him to do and will continue. As I said in Deuteronomy 18:15, you shall listen to him, Moses said. And this is what God is telling Peter and James and John. He's saying, listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's following through with my plans. He's going to his destiny, the destiny that was preordered for him. And he's being obedient in every way. Listen to him. Israel, they were expecting a prophet, weren't they? They got not only a prophet, but the Son of God. Not only that, they were expecting a new Moses. And they got a new Moses. But this new Moses was one who was infinitely more than what they expected. And they could have ever imagined. Moses of old led God's people out of bondage to Egypt, uh, from Egypt. But... The new Moses, Jesus Christ, will be leading and, and uh, continues to lead God's people out of bondage of sin into his glorious kingdom. So the Heavenly Father told disciples, listen to the Son. If my Son tells you he is going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, believe him. If my son tells you he will be raised the third day, believe him. If my son tells you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, do it. If he says he is coming again in glory, believe him and live accordingly. When the disciples heard the voice of the cloud, their response was definitely reasonable. They knew it was from above. And they fell on their faces, it says, and they were much afraid. They fell on their knees, hiding their face. And Jesus comes to them, and he touches them, demonstrating his incarnation, but also his future ministry as a sympathetic high priest, caring for them, forever interceding for them, protecting them, leading them. He said to them, Arise and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus Christ him, himself. In other words, everything was back to the way it was before 
the transfiguration. Jesus was not in his glorious state at this time. Jesus is telling them, you got a glimpse of glory, which is really for later. But for now, you have a mission to carry out. I have a mission. Let us carry on with it. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And Moses and Elijah disappeared. Why? Because they were there to confirm and affirm that Jesus was a fulfillment of all that God's Word had said, all that they had spoken about. Moses and Elijah were declaring that Jesus was the fulfillment of all that they had been looking for. Also, God the Father declared that Jesus was the beloved Son in whom he was well pleased. With Moses and Elijah, there was still that yearning for more. For he had not come. And they were not perfect. They were just prophets. They were uh, just leaders. They were just vessels by which the law was to be uh, shared. Not so with the father who said to, about Jesus, his son, he was the fulfillment of this. No more yearning. This is no more and no longer a promise and a fulfillment yet to happen. This is the fulfillment. And we see that they carry out this and they, they go down the mountain and they, they're still a little confused though because they're asking themselves, talking about Elijah, which we will talk about later on. But we see that God has given them a glorious glimpse of his return. And we've got that hope to look forward to. Even though he had not gone to the cross yet, he was telling them that he would go, but that cross would not, that dying would not keep him down. That he would be resurrected. And the disciples were told by Jesus to tell no one until after the cross and the resurrection. Because he still had work to do. And he didn't want people to be, to misunderstand it and to do things that shouldn't be done to hinder his work. But now the cross has occurred. The church is to share that message. We're not to keep it silent. We're to tell everyone about the cross. He said not yet to tell anyone. But we know that disciples on the day of Pentecost, they told all that were there. The church should be taking up its cross daily, following Christ and sharing that message, that message that changes our life, the message of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah, the consolation to Israel, the Savior for all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your uh, your work 
that continues on. I want to thank you that Satan, I want to thank you that sickness, I want to thank you that sorrow, I want to thank you that pain, I want to thank you that even death cannot stop the church from continuing on with this message. Thank you, God, for that. And thank you that there's still one uh, individuals, ones out there who need to know the Lord and who will come to know the Lord by allowing the convic conviction of the Holy Spirit to deal with their hearts and souls and their minds and change them and turn them and be born again. And may we realize that, may we be encouraged by that, and may we remain faithful to you with that by carrying out the gospel. Taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves, and carrying the gospel with us and sharing it with others. The good news of salvation in Christ. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that opportunity. And Lord, may we do what will what will bring honor and glory to your name by being obedient to you and carrying it with us every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead. And sing our closing chorus.